started. There's still people filtering in, so I'll just take a little, take a couple minutes to introduce myself. Um, as you can tell from the catalog, but maybe not from the picture, um, I'm Brian Vickers. I live right here in town. I teach at a school called Southern Seminary, and I teach New Testament and Greek and biblical interpretation and biblical theology. And you might think, well, why is he at a missions conference? Um, well, it's because. <clears throat> Not in addition to doing that, but alongside of doing that, I'm also heavily invested in training, in going on short-term missions and doing things like missionary training, uh, teaching students and pastors on the field, mostly in South Asia. That's where I've spent most of my time. Southeast Asia a little bit. Um, and so about eight years ago, I met, I was introduced to Will Rogers. Uh, if you don't know Will, you probably know the name. And we hit it off, had lots of things in common, and... That's how I got connected to GMHC. And so this is, I think, this is my eighth year of speaking. Um, this year, I'm speaking on something a little different than anything I have in the past, though I have managed, I don't know if, don't raise your hand for a number of reasons, but if you've ever been to, sometimes there's people who have been to sessions before, I always manage to work in something really similar to what I did before no matter what my topic is. And you can kind of see that reflected in the kind of vagueness of my title that is kind of like what's in your, uh, in your book, in the, whatever the book is called, the program, but also kind of reflects how I'm kind of, I'm not changing it completely, um, but whatever the case, you'll see what we're doing in a minute. There's a reason, there's a reason why it's, the title's a little bit different than the way it appears, um, in the, uh, in the catalog or program, whatever you want to call it. Is, is, is this uh, anybody's first time to GMHC? Wow. Yeah, a lot of people. Welcome. This is a great conference. You're gonna, I already know you're going to want to come back. Um, <laughs> hopefully you're still saying that at, whatever, 5 o'clock today. But whatever that happens in the next hour, you're going to find that the next uh, couple of days are, you're going to – I mean, I know plenty of people, I'm not exaggerating, who have come – not really knowing what to expect, and they left, and things were just different for them, in a good way, in a good way. And so there's, there's lots of great people here. It's a good opportunity to meet a lot of people that maybe you wouldn't meet otherwise. Um, it's a great conference. I mean, they, take, they really take good care of the speakers. Every year you get, this looks like a, it's not a cake, but they give you all kinds of cool stuff. I just want to share one of the things with you. Every year you get a shirt. I have eight GMHC shirts. Now... <laughs> Will is a very athletic person. He lives in Colorado Springs, and so you have to be in, like, a certain kind of shape to even be a citizen in Colorado Springs. <laughs> that rule does not necessarily apply to people who are from West Virginia and have moved up to Kentucky. That's me, right? So this year, it's a great shirt. I'm on, I'm on record, so I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful. Here's the shirt. I'm going to do you a favor and not wear this shirt for you today. <laughs> Because really, this shirt is like a goal and an aspiration for me, more than it is a piece of clothing, right? So, and don't, so don't worry. A, a couple, there's been a couple of years where I've actually been able to wear the shirt. So, it's a great shirt. It's not because of the shirt, right? You get it? It's not the shirt that's bad, All right? So, anyway, that's what this cake box is. Plus, it's got. A lot of breath things in it, by the way. There's two packs of breathy gum and a pack of breath mints. I'm guessing that's in everybody's speaker box. I'm not positive, okay? But I know Will really well, so maybe, maybe there's a message. There's handy wipes in here. And, oh, no, that's Advil. All right, I'll make these. 
I'll make these available to any of you if you want them, um, and then other kinds of things. Well, let's uh, let's get started with a word of prayer, and then uh, I'll explain kind of what's going on here, okay? Father, we're so grateful to you that we can come together, so many people from so many different places, most of whom have never met before, um, and many of whom may never meet yet again in this life, but coming together, Lord, with so many things immediately in common. In fact, the most important thing in common, that is the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you will bind us together, help us, Lord, to be uh, ministering to one another, to be listening to you, be uh, open to the things you have to teach us, to be uh, open to the leading of the Spirit, and not just our own sort of plans and whatever goals we may have. So may we be trusting in you and not in ourselves. Help us, Lord, to uh, not just be interested in uh, either teaching or receiving just information, uh, but looking for ways, Lord, that we can engage the world with the one story of the world that we live in. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the title. Um, I'm not even really sure what the title is in the book anymore. Uh, When I first got the title, the title was assigned to me. Right, So when you assign a title to the speaker, there's a good chance that they're going to kind of look at that maybe from a different perspective. So I, I actually prepared this really early. It's unusual for me. And what I had done was, is I had done what I would commonly do when I'm teaching um, you know, how, to, how to use the stories of the Bible to share the gospel. Um, but then I thought, well, I have like 45 minutes. And... A lot of times what I'll do is I'll teach people sets. Some of you have heard the story sets, right? It would be like a group of stories that are related that you, sh- that you teach people so they can use those. And that's kind of what I did. And then actually, that is what I did. Uh, but then when I looked at it, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, the thing about story sets is they're not kind of universal. There is one big universal story, but you, 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 you develop sets of stories for particular people. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? And so I had sort of one, maybe two sets of stories, and I thought, well, these are good, hopefully. Uh, and they're, they're from the Bible, so they are good. It's not, they're not just my stories. And so I thought, well, hopefully this is going to be helpful, but it might be kind of limited because, you know, like the, that's, the, that's why you do things like chronological Bible story. And, and, but, you know, when you're doing these uh, sort of storying, it's hard for me to make that a verb or a participle or whatever that is. Um, when you're doing that, it's really important, and everybody who does sort of chronological Bible stories and things like that or story sets, what's the first thing they do? The first thing they do is they understand who they're speaking to, and that's absolutely vital, right? Because we have one story, right? There is one story, and I'll talk a lot about that in a minute. But we have to share it with a whole lot of people who are very different than we are, Uh, and not just if you happen to go to South Asia or to... South America or to wherever. All you got to do is walk outside your door and you can meet all kinds of people who are a lot different than you are. And we're going to talk about that. So this uh, session, the sessions I always do, are in kind of like the biblical preparation group of sessions. So maybe right off the bat, you should think of this as the biblical preparation for preparing. Right? So you got to sort of take one step back. So we're going to prepare to prepare. and Because, again... I just, as I thought about it, and then finally, I finally gave in about a week ago and thought, I I can't just go in there and give them like one, like five stories. Here's five stories, you know, go and do likewise. 
because that, thought, well, that's not going to be super helpful. I mean, the, the thing is, is you kind of learn, I think the best thing is, is to kind of learn how it hangs together and, and sort of presuppositions and things you have to think about first. And then what you do is then you can kind of put your own sort of set of stories together yourself according to whatever you're doing. So I thought we'd, I thought we'd back up. Now, in the past, in the past when people would share the gospel with people, you could kind of count on a couple of things. Now I'm speaking just to sort of our context in America. You could kind of count on that people you're talking to would have some idea of what you're talking about. And so there were, there were these methods and strategies. And I'm not denigrating them at all. I just want to be really, because some of you will be really familiar with these. Some of you will never have heard of it. I'm just going to use one. Some of you will never have heard of it at all. But some of you probably have used it. And it's still effective, but, you know, times change. And we have, to, we have to kind of change with them. One common way that people used to share the gospel, and they still do, to share the gospel was something called the four spiritual laws. And raise your hand if you've ever heard of this before. Oh, okay, well, a lot more people than I thought. So I just want to say again, I am not criticizing the four spiritual laws. I'm on board with the four spiritual laws. I'm not deconstructing the four spiritual laws. I just want to make a point, okay? So if you're not familiar with them, some of you are not, they are basically this. So this is what you kind of share with people. Not, not necessarily like a script, but at least the idea. So God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, as I'm reading these, I want you to think about the diversity of people that you know personally. Like just how diverse they are. Okay? And whatever, you know, whatever neighborhood you live in or whatever city you live in. And just the sheer diversity of different, well, I don't have to say diversity of different people. The sheer diversity of people who live in whatever city that you live in as I read these out loud, okay? The second one, humanity is tainted by sin and is therefore separated from God. Absolutely true. Um, number one's true, too. Uh, as a result, we cannot know God's wonderful plan for our lives. I'm, uh, yes, absolutely. Three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. Through Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven and restore a right relationship with God. Yes, absolutely. There's one name given under heaven by which men may be saved, Jesus Christ. And four, we must place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior in order to receive the gift of salvation and know God's wonderful plan for our lives. This is very good. This is very good. All right, so again, I just for the third time, just to be clear, I've learned my lesson over the years. Just to be clear, <clears throat> I just want to make a point about this. Okay? And here's the point. The point is in the question. What is there's an underlying assumption that was that was a good assumption and still is in places a good assumption. But there's an underlying assumption behind this strategy. Does anybody know what it is, or can you figure it out, point it out? That God exists and that I want to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you everybody hear that? The underlying assumption is I'm talking to people who kind of already have, they already sort of get what I'm saying. They sort of share my presuppositions, or at least understand that there are people who live near them who have these presuppositions. So you're right. Like, does God exist? Right? When my dad... When my dad, my dad owned a gas station, and he was well known for sharing the gospel with everybody. Um, but most of the people he talked to, we grew, I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. It wasn't super diverse. It was pretty homogenous. Uh, most of the people he shared the gospel with, even if they were unbelievers, when he talked to them about believing in Jesus, they could connect with that. Right? I mean, they just, it, they, there was a connection there, even if they rejected it. There was a connection. And that's still, that is still true in certain places. But... The thing is, the thing is, is you, you can't just sort of take a strategy, a method that's developed, no matter how good it is, 
when it's, de- when it's developed in a particular context and then just sort of take that, walk across the globe, as it were, and just drop it down as is. Right? Now, I, I 100% believe in the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel for, the power of the gospel for salvation. 100, 100, let's make it athletic, 110%. I don't have any doubt about the about the the power of the the word. However, God does use means to bring about His ends, and you all believe this. If you ever have ever prayed for anybody, you believe that God uses means to bring about His own ends, right? If you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, it wasn't because you thought I'm, God will do it. I'm just going to sit here and keep my mouth shut. Because you believe that God uses means, as so do I, right? So that's what's sort of driving this whole thing, okay? So, well, this is the assumption. I actually already said it, right? So we can more or less count on people we meet to share our basic view of how the world works, what's right and wrong, what we can and should expect or want out of life, and where the world is going. That's sort of the assumptions, I think, behind the four spiritual laws. Because they were they were made in a Western or an American context, and that's and they're unless they're changed, unless you take the truths of them or the ideas of them and adapt them, if you just sort of drop it down verbatim, it's not going to connect in lots and lots of places. It, it, it just, it won't. It won't, as is. Okay? So the disclaimer, I've already disclaimed three or four times, so I'm not going to go back to that. All right, so here's the question. Then. How can we share the gospel in such an increasingly diverse world, in a world where cross-cultural encounters and relationships take place right outside our door? Right? I don't know if you're familiar with Louisville, and, what, and it is Louisville, by the way. If you hear somebody say Louisville, they're not from here. I'm not even from here, and I don't say that. It's embarrassing when people say Louisville, for them. And so anyhow, <laughs> some of you are like, I say Louisville all the time. I know. So anyhow... Even in a town like Louisville, which if you're not from here, you might not expect this, is a highly diverse culture. Um, I, some of my students spend a great deal of time every week ministering only to Bhutanese Nepalis because we have a very large Bhutanese Nepali um, um, population here in town who came as refugees. And they spend, in fact, I know students who have moved into places where the, specifically these people groups live. Um, and so anyway, it's, it's not hard, it's not uncommon to have a cross-cultural encounter no matter where you live these days, right? And so how do, we, how do we share, if we believe the Bible is one story about faith in Jesus Christ, and we don't want to dilute that story, right, ever, and we don't want to compromise that story ever, but so how do we share it with people when we live in such a diverse world? Well, i got some steps, right? Everybody loves steps. Here's the first step, the first three steps, and we could just stop right here. No, we couldn't, but we sort of could, because this is where you have to begin. Three things to remember, because it's easy to get kind of worked up. There's nothing new under the sun. Paul lived in a diverse world. When Paul went to Athens, right, and he started talking about resurrection, people thought he was crazy. Why? Because it's not like in the first century people were like, oh, yeah, rising from the dead. That happens all the time. My uncle rose from the dead. Right, I mean, I, and then my aunt rose from the dead. I know all kinds of see. They didn't think it. It was it was a diverse culture that Paul lived in, right? So Paul could go to Athens and talk to like the greatest thinkers of the day. He could go into Galatia, which was kind of like the backwoods, like the West Virginia of the middle of the uh, early of the ancient Greco-Roman world, right? So I'm from West Virginia. I can say whatever I want. You can't call it that, but I can. And so Paul could go there, connect with people. Paul could go before great leaders like Festus 
and Herod and speak to them. You can even hear the way he speaks. He knows how to talk to them. So he could adapt, but it was always the same message. So we have to remember, even though we like to talk about, and I talk about a lot, how different our world is, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's just one of the things that's happened, I think, for a lot of us here in America is the way things have always been in lots of places, it's like that here now, right? The second thing is we don't, happily, have to rely on ourselves for being in exactly the right place at the right time with the exact right words. That's great news because that means all the pressure is off of you in order of thinking, I've got to make sure I say the exact right thing. I've got to get off the bus at the exact right minute, run into the exact right person and say the exact right things. Or what if I talk to the, share the gospel with somebody and I kind of mess it up a little bit? What if I say something that's not, well, it's a, there's a better way to say it? That's fine. That's fine. Because it, 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 it ultimately, ultimately it's not on your shoulders to make it happen. Right? It, we're just, we're, we're sort of agents that God uses. Right? I mean, amazingly, with all of our faults and flaws. It doesn't mean we can't improve on things. I'm not saying that. But all I'm saying is it's, at the end of the day, it's not our responsibility to make sure that we do everything perfectly. Number one, we can't do everything perfectly. right? So we can sort of wind down a little bit. And then finally, number three, most important of all, remember it's the gospel, not your presentation of it, that's the power of God for salvation. It's what, Roman, this is what Paul says in Romans 1, um, 16 and 17. right? That's, what was, that, that's why Paul could go into places where he knew he was going to get the, nearly get the life beat out of him and preach. Why? Because he believed that in the power of the gospel... The power of the spoken word to change lives. And so at the end of the day, it's not about packaging. It's not, right, it's not ultimately even about having like the right set of stories. It's not, it's not even about knowing exactly everything about the people group you're talking to, although those all things are important. But at the same time, you can know everything about the people you're talking to. You can have all the right stories. You can have everything in line. Um, but if it's not the gospel, then... It's really kind of just a social study and some cultural sharing, right? So anyway, so the pressure's off. All right, now, here's where stories come in. I love this quote from Richard Bauckham. We all instinctively understand the world by telling stories about it. If the Bible offers a meta-narrative, that's just a kind of an academic word for a big story, a story that encompasses everything, right? It's a really super popular, if you... It's a really, really popular word right now. People like to talk about meta-narrative. Now, you never, I never press people to say, you know what that means, right? But whatever the case, meta-narrative just means it's a big story that holds everything in itself. It's like the story of all stories. It tells everything. A story of all stories, then we should be able to place our own stories, our own personal life stories, within that grand narrative, narrative and find our own perception experience of the world transformed by that connection. Right? Because stories are kind of what makes us tick. When you're, when, when, it won't stop. It's like, you heard that, right? Here. Wait, I just thought of a use for this shirt. I mean, you know, until I can use it myself. In, in six months, after the holidays. And then once the weather warms up. So I got a plan for that shirt, right? I got a wonderful plan for the life of that shirt. So anyhow... Stories are really big, and because anytime you sit down to talk to people, basically, you know what you're doing? You're telling them your story, and you're asking, because everybody likes to talk about themselves. We do. And we're always, that's what we do when we meet people. Whether you think about it or not, whether you've ever thought about it or not, when you sit down to talk to people, you start sharing your story with them. And the way you share your story and what you say about yourself reveals something really, really important about you. 
and that is your worldview. Now, it's another really, really popular word these days. But what's it mean? I mean, simply put, you could say the way you view the world. But that's not quite it. That's not quite it. It's a little more, it's a little more, there's a little more to it than that. This is kind of, I'm going to read these kind of fast. If you're interested in these, I can make all this slide, this whole slideshow available to you if you want the quotes. So you don't have to try to write them down. Okay, that'd be probably easier for you. And then I can read fast. So, worldview, it's connected to story, so just hang in there. I'm going to show you how it all connects. Worldviews are the basic stuff of human existence. This is N.T. Wright from a book called The New Testament People of God. The lens through which the world is seen, the blueprint for how one should live in it, and above all, the sense of (laughs) identity (laughs) and place. Obviously, that was a typo in the original text. Which, and it wasn't, which enables human beings to be what they are. To ignore worldviews, either your own or those of the culture we are studying or engaging, would result in, extraordinarily, in extraordinary shallowness. This all might sound kind of academic and stuff, but it's really not. It's really just kind of about how we function every single day. Here's the parts of a worldview. They provide the stories through what... Now, by story, first of all, story doesn't mean like Little Red Riding Hood or Once Upon a Time or any kind of fictitious thing, right? Let's be clear about that. They, uh, the world, your worldview, the way you engage the world, the way you think about what's right and wrong, the way you live in it, the way you act in it, the way you think people should act in it, all this kind of things that makes up who you are, they provide then the sort of stories through which we view reality. Narrative or story is the most characteristic expression of a worldview going deeper than the isolated observation of a fragmented remark. Finally, I'm just going to get fast. From these stories, narratives, one can, in principle, discover how to answer basic questions that determine human existence, who we are, what we are, what is wrong, what is the solution. In other words, by listening to someone sort of tell their story and kind of a, or listen to them kind of expose or reveal their worldview, you can learn a ton about their, the way they think the world works. And the more we can understand about the way we think the world is working for the person we're talking to, the better place we're in to share the story of the Bible with them, to share the one big story with such a diverse group of people, diverse group of people as we're likely to meet. All right, stories and the answers provided to the questions are expressed in cultural symbols. Now, what's a cultural symbol? I've provided four. The cross, a cross, is a cultural symbol, right? So, for instance, when I go to South Asia. Um, the, the assumption is, and many of you have way more experience than I do, but the assumption is, is that everybody in America is a Christian. And so what that means is, is that Christians do everything Americans do. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I don't have to get explicit, do I? Right? So everything that Americans do anywhere in the world at any given time is viewed by a huge majority of people in the world as, well, that's what Christians do. So when they see a cross wherever, on your shirt, like if you go on a short-term mission trip and you have like God's gym or something on your shirt, which you shouldn't have, but if you go in there with all these sort of symbols blazing, you have to understand that you are bringing all kinds of symbols that are going to be interpreted way before you ever open your mouth because they stand for something, right? And I'm not against crosses, by the way, right? That's not the point, so don't get bogged down in that right now. I'm not against them, it's just that's a symbol, and it, it communicates different things. It communicates something to the person wearing it. It communicates maybe something completely different to the person who sees it. A flag. I don't have to go into that. Um, if you're in parts of the world, you go through a village, even a Muslim village, and you see a, an eye 
like the evil eye, which is interesting because you'd think, why is that on a, why does a Muslim have that on the side of their house? Well, what you hear me, there's lots of things going on, right? It says something about the way they, it says something about how that village of people who are Muslim view the world that's actually different than somebody who's just a Muslim just trained in, say, Quran. And there's not a ton, but it, that's different. It's different. It says something about them. Or Starbucks logo. It's a cultural symbol. Or a little white apple with a bite taken out of it that we love to display everywhere that we go for some reason. I don't know what it is, but we're, I don't know. We're kind of more devoted to that than almost anything else. But whatever the case, I have like three of them, so I'm not, I'm, I'm included. Uh, worldviews include a praxis, a way of being the world. That is the way we do, the way we act according to what we think is right, wrong, or we're indifferent about. So all those things, that's how important sort of a worldview is. And we all have one. And the, the trick is, is to be really conscious of what yours is and know as much as possible about the person you're speaking to so that you can more effectively share the gospel with them. Now, just let me say another little disclaimer. Obviously, what I'm talking about here is going to require something of a relationship. Right? Um, I mean, I believe in sort of in contact evangelism. I do it a lot, not as much as I should. But, you know, when you're talking about chronological storytelling or using stories, the assumption is, is you're going to be sort of developing relationships with people. It's not like a one-off type of thing. Okay? I want to be clear about that. All right. We're getting there. I promise. Here's four reasons for why you should understand somebody's worldview before you start thinking, well, as you're thinking about how to share the Bible with them. Uh, one, know how to tell Christ's story to that person in a way that the gospel makes sense to him or her. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, when a, if a person says, yeah, I'm a Christian, well, what's that mean? It's not good enough just for somebody to say they're a Christian. That means lots of things to different people. Uh, what if they're an atheist, you know, self-avowed? What if they're agnostic? What if they're Buddhist? What if they're an animist? You know, or what if they're Muslim? That's going to... And again, I'm not saying we, we I'm not saying that we compromise or, or fundamentally change or alter the story. That's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is there's going to be certain kind of presuppositions and assumptions that people make, uh, depending on where they're coming from. Okay. So anyway, that, this is from a really good book called uh, Tell the Story, where they talk about stuff like this and then give you worksheets and all kinds of. I have a copy if you want to see it afterwards. Um, it's necessary to know a target people's worldview in order to identify issues or barriers left unaddressed. Uh, what are the questions and conflicting issues in a person's worldview? I'll give you one example. If you're speaking with somebody who's a Muslim, the word son is a gigantic deal. Because the Quran says that Allah cannot, is not begotten, nor can he beget. And so when you talk, start talking about son, it's a big deal. And this is why people completely, 100% wrongly, have said we need to sort of we need to sort of tamp down the sun language because it's offensive. Like, pfft. well, you can do that, but then you're no longer really sharing the gospel according to the Bible. That's my view. It's, I think it's the biblical view. But you but you but you need to be sensitive and aware that when you just start throwing words out like sun, they're thinking biologically, but you don't mean it biologically, right? And there's a huge difference. And it's good to have that you know, in your head ahead of time so you can, you can address that very issue that when you talk about Jesus being the Son of God, you are not at all thinking about biology. Because biology is just a reflection of a greater reality. right? It's an analogy. 
son of son son of God. And so anyway, but that's that's even something simple like that. I mean, that doesn't even take that much to be aware of something like that. But if you're not aware of certain little things like that, you don't even know the conversation could be going in a complete different direction than what you maybe perceive it to be. Right. Based on these kind of things. Number two. To avoid the entry, this is a little bit complicated, of syncretism. That syncretism is just where stuff is a hodgepodge. you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's kind of Christian. It's kind of Jewish. It's kind of Hindu. It's kind of whatever, right? Uh, it's kind of secular. It all just sort of works, fits together. To avoid the entry of syncretism into the churches by a new members. That is, we, we need to understand who we're talking to and what it is they think they're believing. So, for instance, there's plenty of people in the world who are quite happy to believe in Jesus if you ask them if they want to. But if you don't probe a little deeper, what you might find out, well, what you might not find out, but somebody finds out a generation later is, yeah, they believed in Jesus and a whole lot of other stuff that they just added Jesus to. But there has been many cases that are even documented where you have people who, because, because there was just sort of this blanket, kind of just, somebody just took a paradigm of how you share the gospel, they laid it down over top of a culture that, kind of didn't get it at every point, and they left with, I hate air quotes, I'm not going to do it, they left with churches, and you have to imagine air quotes around that word, um, where people believed in Jesus, but they also believed in hundreds of other gods too. Right? But, you know, but that's, that's, an, that's an issue that could have been, and we can't be perfect, but that's an example of, that's an example of somebody coming with a pre-wrapped, packaged strategy without knowing who they're presenting that strategy to. Okay? Uh, if we don't know a person's worldview, we will tell the story only from our own perspective. This happens quite a bit. Um, I can give you examples. Like, for instance, if you go overseas in lots of places and you use sort of your American cynical, sarcastic sense of humor, I'm not saying you have it, but some, of, some people do, apparently. <laughs> I've been told. If you just sort of let it go with like illustrations and cynicism or like little cynical or um, ironic comments, nobody gets them. And I tell my students this all the time, and it never ceases to amaze me that it it just can't connect. And so it can't connect, not disconnect. And so like last year, I was in Nepal, and I sat in the back of the room, and a guy got up and said, he was was preaching, or now he's teaching, Preaching and teaching. And he started, he, he's launched off an illustration. I thought, here it goes. He's like, I'm, first of all, it was raining cats and dogs. And I thought, <laughs> I mean, I laughed out loud because I thought, that doesn't connect. That doesn't even translate. They're just thinking, what? Cats and dogs? Right? But it's easy to let something like, this, this isn't even, a, obviously not a theological example. But that's an example of how, that, that doesn't communicate anything other than somehow there are cats and dogs falling from the sky, which probably didn't happen, so I don't even know what happened. Um, and then he went on to tell, then he went on to tell, uh, sort of use illustrations about his boss at work and things. And I was like, and, and, and like his wages and how he's, I was like, none of this, this is going nowhere, nowhere. And, but now that's sort of a little bit of a humorous example, or at least it was to me. Um, but it can happen on a more serious level simply by not being aware that you, all kinds of things that are worked into your worldview and the way you think about things that you think is self-evident. You wake up, I could come in the middle in your, I wouldn't do this, I come to your house in the middle of the night, scream at you, wake you up, and you could sort of tell me all kinds of stuff that flow out of your brain, it would all make sense to you. Right, because there's just, we're hardwired in certain ways to think about 
things in certain ways, to talk about things in certain ways, to explain things in certain ways, to do certain things. And a lot of those things are simply because of the way we view the world. And that doesn't necessarily and often doesn't communicate if we just package it in our own package. Okay? So, so stories are excellent. By the way, in the book that I used to prepare, there were seven reasons, so you got only four. Right, so you got off pretty good. So we, we can move on. I didn't really understand the other three too well, so I didn't include them. Um, so here's what we do with stories. When you tell stories, it reveals what's real, what's true, what's good or best, and how do I act. Those are just basic things. Basic things. All right, so here we go. Now we're getting to why you came here in the first place, according to the title. I know that this... This is a true story, but I, I heard this quote so many years ago, and I've used it so much. I don't know how many. I don't know how much of this. I don't know if there's any fragments left of the original thing, because I don't have the quote anymore. I just have it in my head, and every time I tell it, I tell it a little bit differently. But I know this was said in one version or another. There was a famous missionary named Leslie Newbegin. Some of you may have heard of him. He was he, he was in he was a scholar and he was a missionary and he was lived in India for a long time and he was speaking to a a teacher who had, I guess, read the Bible, and he said, I don't get it. You Christians have this book, and this book tells the story of everything. Everything. But you present it like a book of do's and don'ts, like a book of religion. You're like, we've got lots of books on religion. Why don't you tell people this story that you believe in that makes, that makes sense, at least from your view, makes sense of every single thing that's happened? From creation to the end. Instead of, you know, instead of, now, I'm sure this wasn't part of the conversation, but I'm just going on and on about it. Instead of just presenting it as, well, a Christian means you don't do these things and you do these things. A Christian means you get rid of these things and you take on these things. Now, of course, that's true. Christians do things and don't do things. We get rid of things. We take on things. That's absolutely true. But that is not centrally at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's simply what we do. If Christianity is understood only in terms of what we do, then that's not, because it's not. Christianity is essentially, ultimately, about what we believe. And what we do flows from that. But if it's just about what we do, right? A lot of people can do all kinds of stuff. People can do better than we do in terms of keeping rules and stuff, if that's all it is. And so we just want to be careful. All right, so, another N.T. Wright quote. It's ironic that many people in the modern world, including Christians have regarded Christianity as a private worldview, a set of private stories. But, in principle, the whole point of Christianity is that it offers a story which is the story of the whole world. Now, this is where we get called arrogant and everything else. And it's precisely at this point where you have to be ready, in lots of contexts, to sort of take a little bit of abuse for how you can be so arrogant as to think that there really is just one story. But you actually do believe that. You really do. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you actually do believe. You might not want to say it. It might embarrass you in certain circumstances or whatever. You should want to say it. But you really do believe that there is one story. Not all, There's all kinds of stories, but only one true story that actually makes sense of and explains how these all these other stories exist. And you think that. You do. And I do. But when push comes to shove and people are like, man, that's arrogant. Like, well, I don't want to be made fun of. Well, I don't mean, and then so we've sort of backpedaled, but we have to be ready. But this is why it's important to understand things like worldviews and things, because when we present it, 
you can present it in such a way that it doesn't just immediately, right out of the box, condemn everything else. Right? Now, did you hear what I said? Not immediately, right out of the box. Right? I didn't say doesn't judge, doesn't condemn nothing. It does those things. But again, we don't want to, because of sort of a lack of effort in understanding who we're talking about, or a lack of effort in thinking about how we think of things and how we present things, we don't want to become an obstacle. There's plenty of obstacles already that just exist. Okay, so here's the goal. Learn to tell the story to anyone in any culture with whatever background, beliefs, values, and practices and show them that the Bible is a story. The Bible story is their story. That's the goal, is to tell people, look, the Bible, the story of the Bible is actually your story, right? And if we believe that there's one God who created everything and Jesus Christ, one Savior, we really do believe that the story of the Bible is everybody's story. It tells their story one way or another, and it's going to tell their story one way or another, right? It's just, honestly, these days it comes down to whether or not we'll embrace that or not. That's really one of the big pushes in our culture today is whether we will embrace the truth of what's, what is, what's being said. Which can be comprehended, that's important, and believed in their context without them becoming us. Right? So somebody in some other part of the world or in some other part of the city, they can become an absolute, true, orthodox Christian without becoming me. Well, and there's a lot of good things about that too. Right? In fact, that's almost completely positive. Um, but all I mean is they don't have to look like me or talk like me or express things like me or like you or like us. Right? So, you know, and it's easy to poke fun at the t- things in the past, right? But, you know, people didn't have to learn how to wear ties and stuff like that. Um, but we make all kinds of cultural blunders, too. It's really, really easy to live today and look back at missions, say, like 100, 200 years ago and be like, Pfft. Amateurs, we got it all figured out, right? People in the past were dumb. We got it, right? Just remember, a hundred years from now, our ancestors will be saying the same thing about us, just about different things. So we should never think we've got it figured out. Those poor people in the past, if only they knew everything that we learned from them that made us who we are, then they would get it, right? So anyhow, just remember that. Uh, and then again. I've, I've talked about this before, and people, I've had people get really upset with me because they think um, that I'm talking about sort of the destruction of things. But I'm not. Um, when Paul says there's no Jew or Greek, what he means is the gospel, the, there's free access to the gospel for all people. He doesn't mean all of a sudden there's no ethnic distinctions. It's just like when he says there's no men or women, male or female. He's not saying, like, in the Christian kingdom or in the kingdom of God, people can't really sort of tell, like, the sex of the other person. What he means is, in terms of free, direct, absolute, 100 access to the one and true living God, there is no ethnic, cultural, or sexual distinctions in terms of our gender, right? Everybody has free access to God, and that's what that means, right? And so that's the confidence we have, right? We don't have to, we don't have to change everything about a person. We don't have to make, we don't have to make uh, say, an Indian become sort of a quasi-American or whatever else. You know, you could, turn the, you could turn it around the other way. That's not our responsibility. And the great way to do that is to sort of understand worldviews and stories. Okay, so here you go. We still have time. Here's the story right now. If you've ever been, I'm not going to say this again. If you, anybody doing a Bible reading plan this year, get ready. You're getting ready to complete it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously, right here. 
You can go like, what would you do on the weekend? Read the Bible. <laughs> How much? All of it. Okay. What's that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. People like, you know, next year when they, somebody comes to a new Bible reading plan, they're like, I got it. I'm going to read the Bible 365 times this year. I'm sorry. Okay, so, I don't know what this is going to sound like on a tape, or not a tape, whatever, you know, on a recording. God created the world, created human beings who rebelled against him, attempting to become the one thing they could never be, that is, creators rather than creatures, that he set about caring about his eternal plan to redeem them through his son, Jesus Christ, and through him to create a people who would believe, obey, and worship the only true God and make his good news of life in Christ known to a world in rebellion. And finally, to establish fully his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth with Christ the King reigning forever. That is essentially the story of the Bible. And when I read it out loud, I'm thinking, there's obviously there's things missing, right? But that's sort of, that's the, I mean, I, I, can, I keep working on it, and I'm not really, I don't really believe that's the whole story of the Bible. I just want to be really clear. And I don't think you can replace your... You might think, why is he telling me this? It's because I speak a lot, and I've learned that I just need to be really clear. Because sometimes I'll say things, and people can't tell that I didn't mean it. And so uh, my wife is on me about this all. She's like, why don't you just say what you mean? I'm like, well, you know, you've been married. (laughs) All right, so the good news is, the good news is, there's a bunch of ways you can do this. When I go to, hold on, everybody's looking at this and you're distracted. Okay. When I go to wherever, uh, to a church here in town or to South Asia somewhere or um, someplace, uh, anywhere I get asked to come and speak on this sort of big picture of the Bible, whatever, um, I will start sort of in Genesis and kind of in a circular way go through. So like Genesis, New Testament, well, like Adam, New Testament, Flood, Noah, New Testament, Abraham, New Testament. So back and forth, I'll tell the sort of picture of the Bible. And I, I can do it in a short period of time, or I can do it in a sort of several days, like a week, three, whatever. We, so we've adapted it in different ways. But happily, we don't have to sort of come up with our own version. You can start doing this right today from reading 10 of the most famous verses in the New Testament that will give you, among other things, kind of a thumbnail sketch of the whole entire Bible. And that is Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Now, if you are, um, if you've, if you've been uh, a believer in America for any t- sort of sort of time, you probably know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Probably. For by grace you've been saved through faith, right? That is obviously an extraordinarily important point of that text. The problem is that sometimes we forget the other eight, <laughs> I had to count, the other eight verses because but those two verses are kind of giving us a reason for something. That's why they begin with the word for, right? It's like, because, by grace you've been saved. Now just think about it for a second. You don't ever really walk in a room and say, because it's cold, and walk out. <laughs> you know, or because I love mangoes, and then head out the door. Now you can do that if your goal is to communicate you didn't do a great job. Same thing there. There's a whole bunch of things going on in these ten verses. And one of them is this Paul kind of paints a picture of the whole sort of story of the Bible. I mean, you know, some things left out. But in a better way than I did. Now, oh, okay, thanks. We don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to break this down into sections, okay? Um, In fact, I'm just going to, I've already broken it down into sections. So here's the framework. Uh, Every... 
Every set of Bible stories can fit under the greater picture of the Bible. So the first goal we have, before we do sets of stories, before we do any sort of thing like that, is to understand what is the big story of Scripture. Right? Because again, the, 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 there's, lots, there's two big challenges. The challenge is to communicate it clearly and to communicate the right content. Right? And so I sort of talked about ways we need to think about for communicating clearly, but here's the, how do we do that? I mean, what is the content of this big story? Well, I think you can use Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. If we had more time, we could break it down. I could give you handouts, all kinds of sorts of stuff like that. Um, but it's an example of how the Bible is not only a story, it's also statements. And don't shy away from statements. Because stories, Bible, the story of the Bible has to be interpreted. You, don't, you can't just sort of float a story. Like you can't just walk into some place and tell the parable of the workers in the vineyard and say, what do you think of that? People are like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a fair business practice, really, if you ask me. If you don't explain what's going on in that parable, right? You know, if you, explain, if you just walk in and tell the parable of the prodigal son, you, somebody might walk if, And you don't say anything else. You just read it. That's it. No context. Which, you know, Jesus didn't. Jesus told it in context. You just tell the parable of the Good Samaritan or something like, well, the guy was pretty good. Some of those guys are pretty bad. That's kind of it. Yeah, or... Uh, um, now you're like the prodigal son, you're like, man, that kid was kind of a jerk, and his father was nice, and now the older brother's even more of a jerk. My brother's a jerk. <laughs> I get it. Right? So we might just go away with just that sort of idea unless we interpret it. And the great thing about Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is it's Paul interpreting the story. Now here's what it means. Right? So, okay. Who we were. This is where he says, you know, for you, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and, trans, transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us were also the same way. Now, I, don't, I, I can't read the whole thing because I'm really pressing on the time. But you can read something like this, and now here you have, this, is, this sort of is the, the biblical explanation of what the human race is like. Everybody. Because Paul's a Jew, he's writing to Gentiles, and he says, here's what you were like, we were too. So that's Paul's way of saying everybody. And I think what Paul is doing is he's sort of, ima- he's not imagining, he's sort of putting the whole world in the state it's in after Eden. And so I got all the language, all the language. Those who are disobedient, um, where else? Uh, yeah, by nature, deserving of wrath, all kinds of things like that. So from that sort of, from just those couple of verses, you can connect that to all kinds of stories and things in the Bible. For instance, like Adam. Right? So you can use this as a framework to tell the story of Adam and what happened with Adam. And then texts that speak of our you know, simple, simple condition. And, reality. and if you're talking to people who are animists or whatever, or maybe not, you want to do it from a different perspective, the reality of a spiritual world. Right? It's in the Bible. So you can, so you can sort of connect that specifically. Um, the second sort of part of the story is what God did. This is, again, uh, because of his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And connections you can make. Text and stories about God's love, grace, and mercy. For instance, like the workers in the vineyard. And then you can explain how that's not a parable about business practices. It is a parable about God's mercy and grace. And what does that mean in the larger picture? Well, you connect it to what God has done in Christ, not just a general story about God's gracious. Right? That's great. But there's lots of people who think they believe in a God who is gracious. But we need to show them specifically what's gracious about the God we're talking about from the Bible. It's what he's done for us in Jesus. 
It's not just that he's gracious and merciful. He has those things, but he's that way specifically in Jesus for us. You can talk about the personal work of Christ. Uh, you can, and then, you know, you would want to fill this in with stories about the cross and what was going on there. And once you do that, then you've opened up yourself to be able to talk to people about, well, why was there a cross anyway? And then you can connect that to all kinds of biblical histories and, I mean, biblical stories about the sacrifices and temples and priests and what, all that, what they did. And you don't have to have a degree to do any of this. All you need is a Bible. That's it. You got a Bible and either a laptop or a pad or even a piece of paper or whatever, notebook, you can do this. You really, really can. Um, or here and now you can go and tell sets of stories or things about evil in the world. You know, And everybody has a connection to this about how things don't seem to go quite right most of the time or a lot of the time or suffering, right? And all the things that have come on, all the things that have come on that God has, God has solved in Jesus, and then why God acted, right? Verse 7 is the main point of the, verse, of the 10 verses, by the way. Uh, in order that coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. What, what kind of connections could you make? Well, something like Psalm 19 is about a huge praise to God. Or the Exodus, what God did. And then you can take that story of the Exodus with this in mind. When God says, you know why I'm going to do this? So you'll know that I'm God. Pharaoh will know I'm God. The Egyptians will know I'm God. All the nations will know I'm God. I'm going to take you up out of here, and, make, and everybody's going to know who I am. Uh, and so there you go, right? You can connect people to the larger story of the Bible and show how it all fits together. Um, or purposes in the world. Everybody wants to know about their purpose in the world, uh, where it's all going. Again, you can go back to creation. There's, all, there's any number. These are just examples, honestly, that I kind of came up with as I was making this slide. It's not exhaustive or even close to it, right? Or texts that talk about God's love, promises, those kind of things. And then finally, you get how God acted. And this is grace, right? So you know these verses. And there's all kinds of things you can connect that to, like the prodigal son. Um, And then this whole thing. You know the whole issue of faith and works is one of the biggest touchstones you can have to talk to people about the story of the Bible? You know why? The entire world believes in salvation by works. That's why. The entire world, including us. And that's the biggest challenge. You have. And so that's, that's like a cross-cultural thing. If you can just figure it out, if you can figure out how that is that the person you're talking to, and I promise you they do, believes that they are ultimately saved by what they do, you have a touchstone with them to talk to them about the Bible. 100% of the world believes in works. 100. I don't think I'm exaggerating. In hope, healing, all these kind of things. So you go from here, so you've, you've progressed in the Bible study. Here's what we were according to the Bible. Here's what God did. Here's why God did it. Here's how he did it, by grace. And finally, what we are now as a result of it. This is verse 10. We don't often get to this verse in these verse, in, in this chapter, in this part of Scripture. For we are God's handiwork creating Christ Jesus. And here you have all kinds of things. God's purpose and plan in the world, like the creation story, or work in general. And wisdom literature, now, if you don't know if you've ever thought about this, but every culture that exists on earth has some form of wisdom tradition. Everyone. Because what's wisdom? How do you live in the world? How do you work? How do you live? How do you survive? Every culture, every ethnicity, every anybody has some kind of wisdom tradition. And so do we. It's packed in, this, in a bunch of, bunch of books in the Bible. So you have a connection, right? When, you get to, when you're telling the story about what God's done in the world for people, you have these connections you can make with people. And then finally, God's sovereignty. 
And even then, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I had to put that back in as someone, okay, um, which I believe. So I know this is really fast at the end, but and it might seem like, wow, there's two really distinct parts of this talk, and there really was. But all I want to do is set, if I just do this and don't address, well, you know, you have, we have to think about how do we connect with other people. And I didn't want to just think about, well, how do we connect with other people? What I wanted to show, tell you was, in spite of all those things, in spite of all the things we have to do, in terms of understanding who people are and who we are and how we think and how they think, there really is, there really is. And if you believe in the Bible, you, you think this. Um, and I do too. We just have to trust it. We just have to trust the Bible. There really is a way to connect with people. But we, you know, if we just if we just understand that God uses people like us with all of our sort of messed up problems, and uses people like us to do what? To go reach out to other people and to tell them about God's love. You know, and we can figure out how to connect with them. And we have, we do have a story. Right? That's if you're a Christian here. It's, if you're a Christian here, you have a story that's completely changed your life up from top to bottom, and is still changing your life. Right? And will continue changing your life until your life is totally 100% changed one day, and you're perfect. And we have the story, and God's given us the story. Right? And so it's a, we should count it as a joy and a privilege to think, well, what's the best, most effective way I can share the story with people who are as different from me as night and day? So hopefully, hopefully this has prepared you to want to be prepared. Um, you know, I'm pretty realistic. It's 45 minutes or it's really an hour. Um, so I hope it's been helpful. I know it's kind of, um, fire hydrant sort of type of thing. I talk really fast sometimes. Um, I'm the only person from West Virginia who talks fast. Um, but, uh, hopefully it's been helpful. If you do want a copy of this, well, I really should have had some thing in place to do this. Oh, wait, no, I can, uh, what? Actually, I can, I can, oh yeah, I can connect it, I can upload it. Yeah, I can upload this, yeah, done. Right, thanks. I was thinking there's some easy way to do this. What is it? Oh yeah, like, like what I've done before. <laughs> it hasn't changed. All right, well, welcome to GMHC if you're new. Uh, blessings to you. And uh, if you have friends who wake up early in the morning, I'll be back here at 8 o'clock in the morning. To do the, after I walk out of here and I'll do the things, I'll think I should have done that differently.